This is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. I'm your host, Dakota Arsenault, and today's episode is presented by Aztec Magazine. Well, on the last episode, we covered the Toronto International Film Festival, and now we are back covering another film festival, and that is Cinefest Sudbury. I actually wasn't familiar with this festival before this year, and when TIFF went mostly digital and it came out that there was a limited number of tickets due to distributors wanting it to be that way. I know a lot of people had issues with TIFF and being able to see films. And along with people not being able to buy tickets as much, there was a significant reduction in the amount of press passes handed out. And if you listened to the last episode, I unfortunately wasn't able to get a press pass this year, even though I had one last year. And so I I turned my sights over to Cinefest Subbury, which first caught my attention because they had a number of overlapping films that I wanted to see. And so first that made me curious, but then, you know, looking through their entire roster, they had quite a few really interesting films that I, I was wanting to see this year. And so I applied just hoping I'd be able to get, because much like TIFF and other festivals around the world, they did transfer to be a digital festival this year. And sure enough, I got approved. And and to make things even better for the average viewer, you can see any movie available that they were screening digitally for $10 or for $100, you can see as many as you want. So this is such a super audience-friendly festival. And learning more about this festival in general, the fact that it's one of the largest in Canada, it really makes me excited. Actually, I, I would love to go in person maybe one year. Uh, I, I recently actually was in Sudbury, drove through it on my way out west to visit family. And it's a nice little town. And I'd love to be able to actually spend some time there and not just, you know, drive through it and, and stop for gas and that sort of thing. <laughs> uh, but joining me on this episode today is Stephanie Pryor, who watched a bunch of the films with me. Stephanie, thank you so much. Hey, yeah. Thanks for having me back. So last year... You also came to some of the TIFF screenings with me. We shared some of the press passes. Uh, we we got some free tickets that we were able to go to another one outside. Uh, so you're kind of used to this atmosphere of watching several movies uh, in a short period of time and also ones that we either might not see in theaters for a little while or ones that, you know, just probably won't get a wide release ever at all. So this is something that you're, you're a little bit familiar with, aren't you? Yeah, I am a little bit familiar and I super enjoy it because, you know, when all the big films come out, obviously that gets everyone's attention. But I like seeing all the small ones, the ones you wouldn't necessarily hear about that tend to be hidden gems for me and ones that I tend to usually prefer prefer over top of the big, you know, mega hits. So I'm always excited to watch just a bunch of films all together and just figure out, you know, what is my favorite. And the thing is about with festivals is you can look at some of the bigger names and, you know, we knew going into TIFF that Nomadland, directed by Chloe Zhao, who's, you know, the next up-and-coming director, starring Francis McDermott, two-time Best Actress winner, you're probably going to get something that's pretty good. But for the most part, outside of a couple big names in festivals, you really don't know what you're going to get. A lot of times there's aren't there's no trailers released. You're lucky if it's played at another festival maybe a week before, so you'll get, like, some short reviews. But for the most part, you're going in pretty blind. You'll You'll have, like... A one-sentence description of, oh, this is the story of this person and their struggles doing this. And you're like, well, that sounds like every movie ever made. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sometimes the synopsis 
can be quite generic, but I think that's like part of the fun. You know, you just find one that either has an interesting title or one that's like, oh, that's kind of intriguing. Maybe that's something new. So you just kind of go into it and hope that it's awesome. Sometimes you see some less than stellar films, but for the most part, they're always super, you know, thought provoking and intriguing and still a good watch nonetheless. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to go in order of the movies that we watch. There's a couple that I watched without you, but you know, to round this out, the festival had quite a few that I, I want to get around to seeing that we just didn't end up having time for. Uh, the Viggo Mortensen Falling, which also played at TIFF, that was one that's kind of been gained a little bit of mixed reviews, but one I'm still a little bit curious about. We unfortunately didn't have time to see it. Uh, the Last Vermeer, which was only playing on the 27th. That's, that was the thing with the other thing with this festival is uh, there were specific time windows of when you could see the the films. Some of them were available for almost the entire run of the festival the entire week and a bit some of them were only available for two or three nights and some of them like the last premiere was only available for one day which was a little bit frustrating but i understand that that's just you know the way it works if it was an actual festival probably would have been the only screening it was if you can't make it then too bad so sad um and then some other interesting ones, uh, A Kill's Escape, which was one that was playing at TIFF. I, I had the opportunity to see a press screening of that early, and I was not able to do it. There was a documentary called The Truffle Hunters, which seems really interesting. Uh, a few other ones, Percy, which starred Christopher Walken, Abe, that starred Noah Schnapp from Stranger Things. So all in all, this is a festival that I think had a really good mix of big names to kind of get your attention and smaller, more interesting films that will keep you going back. So without further ado, uh, I'll just, you know, start talking about some of the movies we saw go in order. So the first one was lucky grandma. That was one that I had seen on my own. This is a movie that's directed by Sassy Seely and starring, uh, Sai Chin. I hope I'm pronouncing these names correctly. And it's, you know, this really kind of quirky comedy about this older woman who, when she goes to, um, I, I don't want to say like fortune teller, but that type of, of person uh, who tells her that she's about to experience some very good luck. And this woman is like this surly older grandmother who unfortunately lost her husband and hasn't really been the same since probably mired in uh, bouts of depression, things like that. Can't really connect with her son and her grandchildren. And so she goes to a casino and sure enough, she starts getting very lucky and lucky and over and over and over again. And then unfortunately, she sort of presses her luck a little bit too much and loses everything. And then on the way back to the city on this bus trip with a whole bunch of other seniors, she notices that this kind of gross old man that's sleeping next to her actually dies in his sleep. And she's looking around, poking around, and he's got a duffel bag full of cash, and she decides to keep it, because why not? She's lucky, and she's earned it. And then from there, it's this sort of really interesting, unique comedy where uh, Chinese gangsters are trying to chase this old lady down in the streets of Chinatown, New York, and she's outwitting them, and she hires... Uh, a security guard from a rival Chinese gang named Big Pong, who is basically the largest human that you'll ever see, and mixed with this very tiny old lady as well. They make a hilariously adorable couple, and the two of them sort of outwit the the gangsters that are very inept uh, chasing after them. You know, in uh, I, I wrote about this movie. I actually wrote about all the movies that we're talking about, and you could see them all on ContraZoomPod.com. I did capsule reviews. 
I sort of compared it a little bit similar to um, The Farewell, and not just because it's, you know, films starring Chinese people, but this idea of you have an older person who clearly came from China, immigrated to the United States, and is still kind of very stuck in her traditional Eastern ways. And, you know, she argues with her son about seeing a doctor and he's like, he's not a real doctor. That's Chinese medicine is not a real, real medicine. You need to see a real doctor, that sort of thing. And it's the sort of East meets West. So there's a little bit of similarities in the farewell, but that's about where the similarities end. Other than the fact that they're both kind of like comedies that sort of make you feel. So this is one I know was popular earlier this year when it was on different festival circuits. Uh, if you get a chance to see Lucky Grandma, I definitely recommend it. It's it's very lighthearted, very cute, in a fantastic lead performance. And if Jerry calls, you just say, yes, Jerry. I will let my boss know. Jerry Salinger. Well, of course, Jerry Salinger. And above all, you never, ever call him. <laughs> Why would I call Jerry Salinger? Jerry doesn't want to hear about how much you love The Catcher in the Rye, and he doesn't want to read your stories. I don't have stories. Good. Writers make the worst assistants. Get to work. Now, the next movie that we saw was one that we actually both saw, and that was called My Salinger Year, which was directed by Philippe Falardeau, who did Monsieur Lazare several years ago, which was nominated for uh, Best Foreign Language Film at the Oscars. He is a a Canadian director. And this is a movie about a woman who, a young woman who abruptly leaves college and her boyfriend to move to New York and ends up getting a job at a writer's agency where she is an aspiring writer and her agency's main client is uh, J.D. Salinger. And so that's where the title sort of comes from. And anyone that knows anything about Salinger, he's a a recluse. So most of the interactions that she has is with him over the phone. So she kind of gets this nice um, relationship going on. And then also she wants to still be a writer, but her boss, who's played by Sigourney Weaver, is like, writers make the worst assistant. Uh, I would never hire a writer. And so she has to sort of keep that secret while trying to figure out how to advance her career and maybe realizing that writing isn't a viable career to begin with because you have to be so dedicated. And that is literally the only thing you can think and breathe and feel, and that's all you want. Screw everything else. Um, and so it's a really nice dichotomy of what sort of life she wants to live. This was a, a fairly lighthearted film you know it's got some nice comedy it's got some nice drama but this is one that you you really connected with didn't you yeah i really enjoyed this film i thought it was you know it was fun but also kind of interesting dived into a few emotional topics um including like mental health and and how that can affect a person and the people in their lives but i just thought the performances were great i really enjoyed sigourney reaver as Margaret, who was um, Margaret Qualley's Joanna's boss, but also Margaret Qualley, I thought was so fantastic. I thought she brought this youthful, playful, just openness to the character. And this is actually based on a true story, um, based off of a book. Uh, this Joanna actually did write a book about her year at this writer's um, agency, and so I thought it was just interesting to know that you know this stuff happened. And I just liked the way it was filmed because. You know, at this agency, she was getting these letters to Salinger and they were heartfelt and like pouring out their feelings about um, Catcher in the Rye and characters that they resonated with. And of course, Salinger didn't take any letters, didn't want to see any of them. So Margaret 
Quayley playing Joanna was reading all these. And I love the, the little vignettes that they did for each letter that she read. I thought it was quite interesting and really well done. Yeah, it was, it was a really good narrative device where we got to see who these young people are and she has some conversations with them where it's a little bit of magical realism where she sort of sees these people in her life as well but you very clearly know that it is not really happening it's more just this imaginary dialogue that she's having in her head of what she would assume these people would actually be saying to her if she was to have a dialogue with them but I think they do a really good job. It's it's really interesting. The movie actually kind of reminds me a little bit of The Devil Wears Prada. I think for the first third or so, I felt like they were really sort of setting it up to be a you know a, a budget version of that with Sigourney Weaver doing her best Miranda Priestly impression as this sort of <laughs> uh, no nonsense boss who you are supposed to know everything on your first day. But as the movie sort of went on, there was a bit more depth to it. Or I did really appreciate where it kind of was going. The one sort of criticism I, I do have about it is there's a character played by Confior who we don't really know a ton about, but as soon as we meet him, he's got this super magnetic personality where you just sort of latch on and be like, oh, I like this guy. And then something happens and we are we're supposed to feel really bad, but I feel like he disappears for such a, a large chunk of the film that you don't really get the connection you truly need to have the impact of what happens later on with his character for me. Is that something that bothered you at all? No, it, it didn't bother me, actually. I just, um, you know, I think it was just another part and realization of that point that she was at in her life and her career at the agency. And I, I don't think... At least I wasn't taken aback by how it, non-emotional it was. It still felt like a big, you know, moment, but it seemed to to be more leading her towards things in her own life mm-hmm. that she was dealing with. That's fair. And I, I think that final act cemented Sigourney Weaver's performance for me. At first, I thought mm-hmm. it was a little a little one note, a little too, like I was saying, Miranda Priestly imitation. But uh, towards the end, I think she really made the character her own. Yeah, definitely. All right, so the next movie I want to talk about is one that I saw on my own, the last one I saw on my own, and that was called Mogul Mowgli, which was directed by Bassam Tariq. And so this is a film that stars Riz Ahmed, who co-wrote the film with the director Tariq, about uh, this British-Pakistani rapper who is, you know, looks like he, after grinding it out for so long, he finally is able to catch a bit of a break by being the opening act for a much larger hip-hop artist and this is going to be his break break big break unfortunately right before he's about to go on tour uh he ends up collapsing in an alleyway and gets taken to a hospital and it turns out he's got this degenerative disease which is basically eating his muscles i don't think they actually uh, name it and, uh, and uh, forgive me for not knowing it offhand but uh, his white blood cells is basically eating his muscles so it atrophies and he has no strength he can't get up he can't walk he can't do anything that sort of thing all the while he is trying to recover fast enough to be able to go on this tour that's supposed to start at a week after his accident so it's a little at that point uh you, you sort of expect this of trying to overcome the odds, but they sort of throw in a bit of a twist where he's having these medical hallucinations where, you know, 
a big part of this film is this this idea of his parents had to escape India during uh, the partition when when India broke up and became India and Pakistan. And so his father had to flee India because he's not Hindu, he was Muslim, to Pakistan, which was the, the, the Muslim country. And what sort of horrors he had to face. And this was something that... Um, uh, that Zed, who is played by Riz Ahmed, uh, tries to ignore and just sort of brush under the rug while at the same time still imbuing his music with this sort of, this is my culture, this is my heritage. So it's, it's a very interesting dichotomy, and I think the, the hallucination sequences are very interesting. There's a character named Toba Tek Singh, which if you're familiar with uh, Pakistani literature, which I was not, I had to look this up, uh, is this very famous uh, political satire short story from 1955 uh, about asylum patients who are being traded between Pakistan and India during this time. And so this this character uh, sort of haunts Zed for a good portion of the film and, and it really sort of helps him reconnect with his roots and in the end has a, a really good job where it influences his music and and makes him have a, a deeper connection with his actual history, uh, his, his familial history of Pakistan. This is a film that I think has some really good performances from, from Riz Ahmed and uh, the man who plays his father, uh, Alvi Khan. But other than that, it's a it's a little too one note, a little bit too basic at times of what you would expect from this sort of type of drama. But the music is excellent. This was something uh, that uh, Ahmed also helped create. He is a, a rapper in his own right, so he wrote his own raps and he, he worked on that as well. So interesting, but uh, overall, just I'm very mixed on it. Canadian democracy is under threat. This is the sovereign territory of Quebec. From democracy. Can everybody just fucking speak English? Implicit in this tasking is that you do not create a goddamn international incident. French life matter! On some shit road. In the middle of Cascola, fuck nowhere! Huh? I've already cried in Canada. Merci pour le papier cul! What's going on? What pipeline? I've been in Toronto. Mama Scott, so good! The next movie that we both saw was one called Quebecsit. This is a film directed by Joshua Demers and uh, and co-written by the director and, and two of the actors in it, uh, Gail Maurice and uh, Xavier Yuven. And this is a very interesting satire where obviously with the name Quebecsit, Quebec has twice now had a referendum whether or not they want to separate from Canada. And in this movie, it uh, positions that uh, Quebec had a third referendum and had a successful vote to leave campaign, sort of modeled after the way Brexit has went, where they voted to leave and then the European Union, and then all of a sudden they realized that there were so many tiny logistical issues that were never thought out, never properly communicated, you know, According to the people, it was just a yes or a no with no idea how free trade and commerce and uh, travel between countries would work out. And this is something that sort of played up in Canada. In the last election, you know, there was mumblings of uh, Quebec wanting to leave again, but even louder was a uh, Western exit, mostly coming out of Alberta. And so we sort of get this idea where at the Quebec and New Brunswick border, the newly formed Republic of Quebec decides to put up a roadblock where they would inspect people coming and going. 
It starts out simple enough where they're just letting people know that they are now entering and leaving a new country. But soon uh, the Canadian Army shows up and sets up their own opposing roadblock. And they also try keeping it civil, but they also keep trying to one-up each other before you get to know it. It's, you know, much like comedy where things have to keep, the stakes have to keep getting higher and higher and things get a little bit more ridiculous and ridiculous. Uh, Overall, I thought this was a pretty interesting political satire uh, that I I thought had some funny moments. Uh, How did it work for you? Yeah, I thought it was, you know, for the most part, pretty good, pretty funny. Um, It did feel a little long at times, but there were tiny little nuggets in there that were hilarious and so poignant that I think really worked for it. Um, there was also the aspect of the, um, the Micmac, Mi'kmaq, yeah, mm-hmm. community and how they're like, this isn't your land anyway. Why like you're fighting over this. This is our land and you both should go kind of thing. So I thought that was also an interesting part to tie in and to show, you know, we can be fighting over these things, but there's, there's stuff under the surface that we still have to deal with and it's still going on outside of, you know, the bigger issues, which tend to all be the bigger issues. But um, w- one of my favorite parts of this one was this um, French gentleman from France who was a teacher or a professor, and he had left Quebec to go somewhere, I suppose, and was coming into New Brunswick, into New Brunswick yeah. for some reason. We don't know, but he's trying to come back into Quebec. And at this point, the stakes are at, that, at such a point where they're not letting anyone without a, a French Canadian ID back into the country of France, sorry, of Quebec. Mm -hmm. So they turn them, turn him around and he goes back to the Canadian marker, which is like, I don't know, a hundred yards away. (laughs) And they're like, no, they have to let you in. They're still part of Canada. Go back. And there's this poor guy who's like caught in between. And every once in a while in the different scenes that happens, he's still there in the middle of this limbo between both Quebec and, and New Brunswick. Uh, so I thought that was pretty funny. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're uh, any sort of a, a political junkie, I think you'll probably get some good laughs over a lot of it. There's a lot of parallels between what is happening over in Brexit with with how they position it. You know, I in my review I kind of wrote about there's this with. Northern Ireland and Ireland, they have not had a hard border for a very long time because when there was one, there was very intense violence going on between the two countries. And there is concerns that there is going to have to be another border put up once Brexit is finally done and they, in the United Kingdom fully separates from the European Union. And this sort of similar thing where... Quebec sort of slowly floats the idea of having a a more hard border between them. And that's when the violence actually starts to erupt. Some gunfire gets exchanged, someone gets shot, that sort of thing. So this idea of sort of mining real world for comedy, I think they do a really good job of that. And they also, you know, if any Canadian, you'll be able to kind of make jokes that are very regional specific, where I think you'll, you'll sort of appreciate on, on the screen whether they're in Quebec or New Brunswick, it'll always tell you what part you're in. And so it'll be like at the border in Quebec, at the border of New Brunswick. But then at one point they go into New Brunswick and it's like fucking deep in New Brunswick, in fucking New Brunswick. (laughs) So it's really funny because New Brunswick is often sort of the forgotten province a little bit. 
It is very French Canadian as well. A good portion of the people there are bilingual, if not straight up French communities. So this really would impact them in ways because they do share a lot of cultural similarities with Quebec compared to the rest of English speaking Canada. And if there is a hard border between them, I think there would be some real issues. But of course, the biggest problem is the indigenous rights where you're trying to put up borders on a country that you've already taken from them and saying where they can and cannot go. And of course, they're laughing because you've been doing this for several hundred years now. What difference is this now? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's a really funny movie. It's, you know, it's, it's a very, it's a, not, I don't want, I don't want to use low budget as a per bare bones. Yeah. As a prerogative way. Um, but you know, it, it basically takes place in these in these sort of two camps of one one uh, border crossing and another border crossing between the English and the, and the French language section. So it's definitely worth checking out. I don't know where it's going to be available. I wouldn't be surprised if it pops up on some sort of streaming service or something. But uh, I don't think this is the type of movie that's going to get a lot of attention. But it's definitely one that I think people would enjoy. The next movie that we saw was one called Black Bear, directed by Lawrence Michael Levine. This might be the toughest movie to talk about mm. because I feel like the less people know about it going in, probably the better. Yeah, agreed. And I wrote in my review, I kind of describe a little bit, but I didn't want to describe any more. But basically, you have this three-hander where you have Aubrey Plaza, who plays this uh, former actor turned writer and director named Allison, and she is arriving in this secluded cabin in the woods that is lived at by this married couple, uh, not married couple, uh, Mike and Blair, who are not married but are expecting. Um, and right from the get-go, there is this really weird, awkward tension. And I wasn't fully on board right away because they were like starting at like a 15 where they're like right at each other's <laughs> throats where the type of movie you'd expect it to escalate up to, you know, maybe 45 minutes an hour in when they finally, you know, all the, the walls sort of break down. So it was a little confused from the get-go of why everyone was super intense from the get-go. But then something happens and it shifts and we get uh, an accident that occurs. Someone gets severely injured and then it cuts to black and then it's basically a different movie. And I don't want to say a ton, but basically uh, a movie is being filmed and I feel like I'm giving too much You're, away. You, I feel like you've already <laughs> given too much away. You've basically uh, given the plot of the first part, oh. and you've led into the second. Basically, it's just about this um, filmmaker who is a writer of a secluded house who's already lived in by these two people. There's a part one, and there's a part two. How will we go with that? Yeah, yeah, that yeah. That, that, that works. Um, <laughs> it's so it's it's such a hard movie to to describe to talk about it all without describing things but needless to say despite throughout the whole movie uh it is about manipulating other people who are you lying to are you lying to yourself what are you trying to get out of the other people who is on your side who isn't on your side it's it's very much you're not quite sure who stands what where how intoxicated really is someone that like Alcohol plays a, a big part and and weed as well, where, where you're getting intoxicated and you believe them that they're actually intoxicated and then you sort of question it 
are they maybe just putting on a bit of a show? Yeah. And it kind of like makes you reevaluate everything you're watching. I think if, if anyone had seen the movie, the one I love, which was a film that starred Elizabeth Moss and Mark Duplass about this couple that goes away uh, to a vacation home. And then all of a sudden they start seeing uh, duplicates of themselves and, and things start happening. Yeah. If, it's a very dark and weird comedy emphasis on the dark part. If you were a fan of that movie, I think you'd really like Black Bear. It's funny you mentioned that because we didn't talk about that, but this movie definitely gave me those vibes. Yeah. Like straight out the gate. I was like, oh, this feels so much like this movie. Um, Not for like plot for plot or anything like that, but just similar vibe and feel for it. Um, It's definitely an interesting watch and it definitely makes you think, and it's still one that's lingering with me that I would love to revisit after a time apart to try and, you know, figure it out or just see it in a new light potentially, because I feel like this is a type of film you could watch and get different feelings and different reactions and meanings at separate watches. Mm -hmm. And then of course, you know, I'm not going to explain anything about it, but it definitely leaves you with an ending where you're like, wait, did it mean this or did it meet this or am I just completely off kilter? Am I stupid? Did I miss something where you're yeah. definitely like, Whoa, what does that ending mean? All of a sudden. Like, am, I, am I intoxicated right now? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's basically a three hander between Aubrey Plaza, Sarah Gaydon and Christopher Abbott. And the three of them all do such a terrific job where you really can't tell from one moment to the next who is playing who and who has the upper hand. Yeah, for sure. I think the three of them are so great and, I have to give props to um, Christopher Abbott because I think he was my favorite in part two, we'll call it, because I think it is called part two. But um, just the character shift and change from part one, I thought it was great. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Science is changing. And the very people who are running science are the people who believe the world is flat. And I'm going to prove them wrong. You're Maria Sklodowska. I'm Pierre Curie. Your science is brilliant. (laughs) You're proposing a partnership. That's exactly what I'm doing. You're just extraordinary. The next movie that we watched was one called Radioactive, which was directed by Marjane Satrapi. And it stars Rosamund Pike, and it's a biopic about Marie Curie, the famous French and Polish physicist who discovers... uh, two elements, polonium and I can't remember radium radium, and her husband with a relationship with her husband, Pierre Curie, and she's a Nobel prize winner. And I'm falling asleep because this movie just pass on it. It's an Amazon original. So it's definitely going to be out there and you're going to have the option to see it when you fire up your Amazon prime account and whatever you do, do not watch this movie. (laughs) It is so bad. Wow. Harsh. But I would have to agree with you, unfortunately. It's, yeah, it's just a, like, really oddly stylized version of, like, her whole career. So it feels like it both feels too slow and too fast at the same time. We're just skimming over parts, but diving into weird moments that don't seem to need the recognition that it's getting. So it's an interesting watch. Yeah, and it stars Rosamund Pike, who... I like to think as a, as a good actress, I haven't seen a ton of her stuff, but of course, like she's fantastic and in stuff like gone girl and she's playing such over the top, over dramatic, 
where she's either, you know, don't tell me what to do. I work on my own. No one works with me. I do everything by myself. I'm a strong, independent woman. And then the next scene, she's basically like, I don't know what to do. Everything is terrible. Life is the worst. Why did you do this to me? And like, it just sort of, her character doesn't really make any sense. But yeah, like the, yeah. the biggest problem is like, it just is like, what's a big beat that we can cover in our life? Great. We'll talk about that for five minutes and then we'll, we'll move on to the next beat where there was no real connective tissue. It was just like, yeah. how many big moments can you cram in? Yeah. It just felt like they were trying to touch on so many, too many parts and it just didn't have enough depth for me in any one aspect in any one character. So you didn't really feel invested or really care about what was happening or to these characters or even in this in the story or this historical retelling and um like it has this vibe this feel like it's a forensic show especially with the score mm-hmm. which i found a really odd choice and kind of it was kind of off-putting because it didn't make it feel serious it kind of made it feel like a joke well, right from the get-go, you were like, this kind of feels like a Murdoch Mysteries episode. And mm-hmm. it really did, where it's got this, like, sort of dark Victorian era and a big, you know, God bless Murdoch Mysteries. It does what it does really well, and it has a niche audience, but it's basically like, this thing hasn't been invented yet, but you people watching know what it is. Wink, wink. We're going to pretend we don't know what it is. Yeah. And it, it sort of feels like this movie is like this at times, where they're talking about... Uh, the poisonous aspects of radium and polonium and they're like oh who knows what this does oh look at this i'm getting lesions on myself i wonder what this means wink wink oh yeah. <laughs> i'm coughing blood all the time why yeah <laughs> yes it is quite uh, i don't even know what it was going for it was an interesting choice um the way it was directed and the way it was shot but um yeah. There's way too much CGI in this there movie. Was a, way too much. There was so much more than it was necessary. I mean, given the time that it takes place and the stuff that's going on, I feel like it. there was no CGI needed whatsoever. I'm guessing they didn't have the budget to actually build the full sets. So they're probably shooting on very mm. tiny sets and then decided to fill in Paris as much as CGI as you can. And they basically overcompensate by doing these like big filters sweeping shots. Too. Yeah, and these filters, but these big sweeping shots across Paris. And you're like, this is just completely CGIing the city. But yeah, there's these weird filters where you basically kind of feel like you're... In a haze <sighs> or a dream or I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's you know, the... The worst joke you can make of like bad Instagram filters of someone filming through that at times. Yeah, which is really confusing because there are flashback moments, but they felt as grounded as reality did in in this film because Mm -hmm. there was no differentiator between the two. So you're like, why? I know that this is a flashback, but it feels exactly the same as their current time. Sam Riley, who played Pierre Curie, I thought did okay as far as all. I was probably single out one of the performances. Mm-hmm. He kind of did the best where yeah. it was, I understood where his emotions were coming from Agreed. and you, you understand his rationale in most of the scenes. But like Roseman Pike, like what, what were you doing in this movie? And then of course they're like, the third build actor in this is Anya Taylor-Joy, who shows up for 20 minutes at the very end as the grown-up daughter of the Curies. And she's wearing this terrible wig and is overacting the hell out of everything, too. Yeah, I mean, I think we'd mentioned this while we were watching it. 
when there's a bad script, there's no matter how good an actor you are, it's very hard to turn it around. And I think it suffered from so many things that there was just no, there was no one person or a thing that could save it. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. Um, I wish I could continue ragging on this movie (laughs) and I do not feel guilty about it because no one involved with this will ever listen to that. Uh, but the last movie we will talk about and we'll end on a much higher note is another round, which is the new Danish film from Thomas Vinterberg and it stars Mads Mikkelsen. The two of them previously paired up on the fantastic, the hunt from a couple years ago. But if you're not familiar with this movie by now, uh, it was talked about in the in the TIFF recap episode, so you can go back and listen to John and Maria reviewing it too. But um, this is about four friends who are all teachers at a school who decide to test out this theory that uh, if you have a minimum blood alcohol level in your system at all times, you function better in society. You're more alert, attentive, uh, spontaneous, courageous, a whole bunch of positive attributes. And so they're doing this and they're, they're getting good results. So they decide to up it a little bit more by a little bit more and sort of disaster ensues basically. Uh, it's kind of a comedy it starts out as a comedy but then of course you know when you realize that you're dealing with functioning alcoholics it gets pretty serious pretty quickly uh that said you know if you'd seen the hunt you know how fantastic uh mickelson and vinterberg are together and and this is this is no exception the two of them once again hit an absolute home run of a film yeah i have to say i think danish films are starting to creep into some of my favorite foreign films because i've seen quite a few now and they're always amazing so that's exciting for me as a realization that i have to get into some more danish films but also i'll watch anything with madge mickelson's i think that's what you like so you just amazing. like Mads mickelson's no, danish films well you know i have to say most of the danish films i have seen have starred him so maybe there is some sort of correlation but i digress it is a great film uh, fantastically acted from all four leading men. And I think the subject matter is super interesting. And, you know, just what comes about from their experiment, I think is is quite telling. And you can see how each of it is affecting each of these four men's lives in a different way, good or bad. Um, so I thought it was quite a ride. And yeah, it was great. It was fantastic. I think the most interesting part is uh, Vinterberg's camera does not look down upon these characters. We, we don't watch them and go, yes, these are clearly bad people. They're doing bad things. We should punish them. We should feel bad for them. We're kind of lo- sort of left on our own of, well, were they were doing was it good they clearly had some positive attributes and then when they ended up uh abusing the substance then of course there were some repercussions but at the same time like you're sort of you're sort of left on your own to decide how good or how bad these people actually are so i appreciate that it wasn't rammed down our throat of you need to pity them or you need to condemn them like it, it very much was up to your interpretation and i think at the end of it, you don't, I, I don't think I, I neither, I neither pity or endorse what they did or look down upon them. No. Yeah. You just kind of feel, you know, at peace with what happened and where they are and where you are currently too. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think it is a really good job. 
Yeah, especially since there there was a bit of a tragedy towards the end, which we won't really divulge in how uh, it affects them uh, going forward. I think they do a really good job sort of handling that where it is a little ambiguous as far as exactly what will happen next in these characters' lives. Yeah. Now, I, I definitely think this is a film that's going to be nominated for Best International Film. There's no way that Denmark will not be submitting this after getting a nomination for The Hunt of previously with Vinterberg, especially with Mickelson being a, a Hollywood star as well, being in, in movies like uh, Casino Royale and, and the TV show Hannibal. So I would not be surprised if it absolutely gets a nomination for Best International Film. And I wouldn't be surprised if maybe Mickelson is you know on the fringes, talked about, uh, best actor contention with so many movies being pushed back to next year. Maybe he sort of swoops in and gets that like number five spot for best actor. I would love to see that. Yeah, for sure. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we are going to actually hand out our own awards. What a life. What a night. What a beautiful, beautiful ride. Don't know where I'm in five, but I'm young and alive. So there we go. You saw five films. I saw seven films. Uh, if you if you liked what we talked about, make sure you go to contrazoompod.com. There are short little reviews of all the movies that we talked about there as well. Uh, make sure you also have checked out the uh, TIFF uh, rack up episode two, uh, lots of good content there, but we're going to give out our own awards because Cinefest Sudbury does give out awards for, for best feature film. So we're going to do that. What was our best film we saw? And then best performances, both, uh, actor and actress without regard for lead or supporting just who we thought gave the best performances. So what was your best film? My best film definitely hands down was another round. I thought it was fantastic it was great from start to finish it felt you know well-rounded and really honed in on its subject matter and kept me engaged the entire time yeah i i agree i another round is my best film as well i i really love this i think the camera work is excellent there's some some really clever shots that go on and you really connect with the story that's being told. It was the only one that I had a bit of an emotional reaction to. So I definitely appreciate that too. Uh, I also highly recommend both black bear and lucky grandma. Those are, those are ones that I think are definitely worth checking out too. So who was your best actor? My best actor has to go to Mads Mikkelsen, of course. I think he's amazing in everything that he does, but just also in this film, it's he grounds all four guys. He's the main protagonist of this movie, and you're just there with him the entire time. Mm-hmm. He does a great job. Yeah, I, I also give it to Mads Mikkelsen. We're a bit of a broken record here, mm-hmm. but it is such a, a fantastic performance. He he starts out this film so disconnected from, from life. He asks his wife if he's boring now because his students don't connect with him. And his wife basically confirms that, yes, he is boring and not the man that she fell in love with. And when he undertakes this experiment and how he sort of reconnects with his past and who he wants to be who he thinks he is, all this sort of stuff. We get this such well-rounded, faceted performance from from Mads. I won't say it's a career best because I, I think The Hunt is probably a career best performance from him, but this is right there up 
there with it, and I, and I really hope that it gets the accolades he deserves for it. Now, lastly, what is your best actress? So I have to say I am very excited that I am at, you know, a conflict with who to choose. Normally when we have, like, our best picks for actress or supporting actress during our um, Oscar podcasts, it's very slim picking sometimes the different decades of who we can pick. And I have, feel like I have a smorgasbord of ladies to pick from here. Mm-hmm. So it's amazing. And I'm super happy that the movies we watched had such strong female performances and characters that were present. Uh, that being said, I think I have to finally give it to Margaret Qualley from My Salinger Year. I thought she was great. And just her vibrancy that she brought to the character in the screen was really great. And I loved her earnest performance of this kind of naive, young, um, you know, college dropout if in New York trying to find her way. It was really great. Uh, I almost wanted to give it to Sigourney Weaver uh, just because of that last scene we had with her. But I think that uh, Margaret really ties in. She's the core of this film, and I think she did a fantastic job. Wow, that's a, that's a good one. I wasn't too sure where you were going to go with it, uh, but I'm, I'm glad you went with that one. I would have to go with Aubrey Plaza. I'm very close to wanting to, close to, to both give it to both her and Sarah Gaydon yeah. as like a sort of tie because they I don't great. think this movie works as well as it does without knowing that both of them together really contribute to it. Mm-hmm. So that said, yeah, I, I, oh, it's tough. Aubrey Plaza, obviously, everyone sort of knows her from from Parks and Recreation and what a deadpan humor she has. And at first, that sort of seemed what character she was going with, but mm-hmm. especially in part two, where we get to sort of understand where that first part was coming from, I think uh, did a really excellent job with that performance and, and definitely one that uh, people should be on the lookout for. I would almost sort of... Uh, favorably compare it to her performance in Ingrid Goes West. Yeah, I, I had the same feel, feeling. Which, yeah. if you were a fan of that movie, too, you'd probably like this one as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Well, that about wraps it up. Uh, Cinefest Subbury was excellent. I really loved it. I, I hope that we can cover it again in the future. Steph, what were your overall thoughts about the festival? I thought it was great. I think if they have a great selection of films from, you know, big to small to you know, foreign to whatever you're looking for. So one I wasn't, was also not familiar with and definitely am excited going forward each year too. Yeah. So thank you so much, uh, Cinefest Subbury for giving us the press passes. Really appreciate it. Uh, as I said, make sure you go to ContraZoomPod.com where you will see reviews for the movies and, of course, all your other ContraZoomPod needs, including all past shows and guest appearances and all that fun stuff. Uh, I want to thank Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and, of course, Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. So thank you for that and thank you for being a guest here. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you to Aesthetic Magazine for presenting the show. Make sure you follow it on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod. And uh, once again, I'll plug it again. Visit ContraZoomPod.com. Bookmark it because I'll be adding tons of great content there over time. If you can, please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, And send me a screenshot, ContraZoomPod at gmail.com, and I'll add you to my mailing list, and I'll send you some free swag when that becomes available very, very shortly. So thank you so much for listening.